0: you're listening to audio from trinity west seattle for other resources more information about this sermon series or to connect with us visit our website www.trinityws.com
1: my name is patty skinner and i will be reading from matthew 15 1 through 9 Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship Me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. The word of the Lord. You may be seated.
0: Check. Oh, there we go. Hello. It's great to see all of you. My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege of sharing God's word with you guys today. And I want to pray as we get started. Join me if you would. God, we thank you for speaking to us. I was reminded as we were singing that song Waymaker earlier that you're a God who not only spoke to us in the past, but you're a God who is here in the present. You're here with us, you're wanting to work. Would you just make us a a hospitable people where you could speak to our hearts, but transform them and move in them as we study your word today? Ready us, we pray for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, There's a song, get this, called Antichrist Television Blues, okay? Okay. Some of you guys might have heard of this song. It's one of my favorite songs by the band Arcade Fire, Antichrist Television Blues. Kind of a weird song. And I know there's some controversy around Arcade Fire. I don't really follow any of that stuff, so I'm not really sure what's going on there. But the song is on this album called Neon Bible. And this is sort of a theme on the whole album, what goes on in this song. And this song is its a prayer of a man who is tired of the daily grind of his blue-collar job. And he's working in the city, and he's just exhausted, and and he's begging God to get him out of his situation. And he has this plan. He just needs God to, to, you know, pull some strings for him, basically. His plan is for God to make his 13-year-old daughter a star. And then he kind of asks for more daughters to be, more of them to be a star as well. And his daughter, his 13-year-old daughter, is a singer. And so in his prayer, he tries to make this deal with God. He, he, if God will make them rich, then he'll make sure that these songs are about the Bible. Okay? It's, it's a little too, like, realistic, I think, in some ways, of, of what goes on sometimes in the Christian music industry. But here, here's what the, some of the lyrics are. The, the, the lyrics are, go on and on and on, but these are just a few of the lyrics. It says... You know that I'm a God-fearing man, but I just got to know if it's part of your plan to seat my daughters there by your right hand. I know that you'll do what's right, Lord, for they are the lanterns and you are the light. Now I'm overcome by the light of day. My lips are near, but my heart is far away. Tell me what to say. I'll be your mouthpiece. And so it sounds like this really noble request. God, give me what I want and I'll do what you want, right? But as the lyric says, his lips are near, but his heart is far, far away. And it's this really emotional song. I love the song. It's kind of like, it's sort of like one of those Bruce Springsteen songs where you can picture all the veins popping out of the boss's neck when he's singing, you know, it's like just so much energy and angst. And, And this song illustrates so honestly this internal contradiction of a person who uses religious pretense in order to get what they want. This internal contradiction of a person who sees God merely as a means to an end. And you know what, friends? That's a person who has never met the real God. Because if they had, they would realize that God is so beautiful, so glorious, so powerful, that he won't settle for us making him a means to an end. He won't play religious games along with us. Why is that? It's because God is so wholeheartedly devoted to us. And because he's so wholeheartedly devoted to us, he wants us to be wholeheartedly devoted to him. God wants our hearts. He doesn't just want our words. He wants our hearts. He doesn't want lip service. He wants all of us. And in today's story, the religious leaders are trying to live as though religious activity can actually make God a means to an end. Only they aren't as self-aware as the Arcade Fire song was, unfortunately. And they're so self-deceived that they believe that God is actually on their side. They're so self-deceived that they don't even realize that they've turned their back on him. And so what do they do? They begin attacking Jesus. In verse 1 it says, Then the Pharisees and the scribes came from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Okay, who are the scribes and the Pharisees? If you guys have been around for this series, Upside Down Kingdom, you guys have heard about them multiple times, but it's always good for us to remember this, especially for those of you who are new, to kind of get a handle on who these guys are. The, the Pharisees were the strictest religious sect in Judaism, and the scribes were their homies. The scribes were the guys who kind of worked with them, they, they studied the Old Testament law, and then they consulted the Pharisees on what that meant they should be doing, And originally, as the party of the Pharisees formed back about 200 B.C. or so, the Pharisees actually believed that if they took the law of God seriously, then the people would be ready for the promised Messiah. If people took God's law seriously, then people would be ready for the Messiah when He came. In fact, some even believed that as they obeyed the law, it would actually cause the Messiah to arrive. And so this was, interestingly, about as political as it was religious. The Messiah was assumed to come in military might and destroy their enemies and then become the king of Israel. But you see, over time, their movement, it actually the, the tables turned a bit. It became more political even than it was religious. 200 years after they began, by the time of Jesus, The Pharisees were, by and large, self-interested nationalists. That's what they were about. They wanted two main things. They wanted, one, for their people, the people who uh, worshipped alongside of them. They wanted everybody to think that they were great. And two, they wanted God to give them a nation free of oppressive occupation and ruled by the Messiah. And funny enough, they actually assumed that the Messiah would be a Pharisee, as well, okay? And so in order to achieve these goals, they took God's law very seriously, but maybe took it more seriously than they should have. I don't know, that's probably not the right way to put it. They they added extra rules, let's put it that way. They created what is quoted here as traditions to make sure that these other rules didn't get broken, okay? So man-made traditions were put in place so they said that God's laws would be kept. And here, they've come all the way from Jerusalem. I mean, over 120 miles by foot. They've come here all the way just to ask Jesus a question about these traditions being kept. What, why would they do that? Well, you got to remember, Jesus was beginning this messianic Movement And it was spreading like wildfire. Remember that they wanted the Messiah to come so long as the, he acted in accordance with their party. And Jesus has just gotten done healing all of these people. Pastor David preached on that last week. That's very Messiah-like, right? Jesus has just gotten done doing all these miracles. He's fed the 5,000. He's walked on water. And maybe all of these miracles have drawn their attention. They've kind of made their way back to Jerusalem, and they've kind of gone, whoa, what's going on here? This sounds like a messianic movement. And so they come to ask Jesus this question, uh, basically about his Messiahship. And what question do they ask? They ask him why his disciples don't wash their hands when they eat. Anybody else find that strange at first, right? It seems like an awfully long way to go to play hand-washing police, right? Doesn't it? It sounds like they're just health inspectors showing up and going, hey, we heard that you fed 20,000 people, and none of you guys washed your hands beforehand, right? (laughs) But if we're honest, I think we can all probably get the sense that there's something more going on here than simply a health inspection right there's this tradition that they're talking about and what what was the tradition first first of all like all of the traditions that they would have kept there was an old testament command that it was based off of and in the old testament way back in the day god required these jewish priests to wash their hands before their worship services A lot of their job was related to doing things with food, right? They're preparing bread, they're preparing animal sacrifices, and so forth. So it made practical sense that God wanted them to wash up as they were doing that. But much more than that, the hand-washing was actually symbolic of the purity that God required in their hearts. See... God required ceremonial cleansing for priests because he wanted them to purify their hearts. He wanted them sobered up, if you will, as they entered into his presence, as they did his work. And so the Pharisees and the scribes, they took this rule, which was good, it was given by God, priests need to wash their hands, and they said, we're going to make it even better. God's rules aren't holy enough for us. Now it's not just the priests who need to wash Everyone who's a religious leader needs to wash their hands, even the rabbis and their followers. And so that included, of course, Jesus as a rabbi and his disciples. See, they thought that this tradition that they had created was actually getting to the heart of the command, but Jesus corrects them on that mistake. Verse number three, he answered them, why do you break the commandment of God? For the sake of your tradition. For God commanded, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father or mother. So I kind of stumbled through that a bit, but you can kind of sense a little bit of a mic drop moment here with Jesus. You guys get that a little bit? He, he, they go to Jesus and they say, why do you break our traditions? And Jesus says, why do you break God's commands for the sake of your traditions? you got to love Jesus. Anybody getting excited about Jesus here for a minute with me? Come on, come on. you got to love that. He doesn't have any fear. He doesn't back down. He doesn't let them kind of roll over what, what's going on. Like a true prophet, Jesus calls them back. To the covenant. He calls them back to the covenant. That's the job of a prophet. He tells them to return to God, return to what God commanded. And he reminds them of two verses from the Old Covenant. The first one is from the Ten Commandments. Most of us have probably heard this verse honor your father and mother. In fact, I heard somebody earlier this week telling me how their parent used that verse to abuse them. and to manipulate them, but this is a good command. Honor your father and your mother from Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12. The second one was from a uh, chapter later, probably lesser known. Whoever reviles his father or mother would sh- must surely die, Exodus 21, 17. Now, why does Jesus remind them of these verses in particular? Well, you have to remember, in that society there were no retirement accounts, there were no care facilities and professional staff to help ensure that people were honored in their old age. And so the elderly were entirely reliant on the provision and the care of their own children. And so apparently the Pharisees and the scribes, they decided that it was actually more religiously pious for adult children to donate their money to what we'll call the church instead of caring for their parents, <laughs> this is messed up, right? Messed up. So telling them you don't have to, you don't have to uh, take care of your parents. You can just give that money to the church. But you know, it doesn't actually have to be an either-or scenario. In scenarios like this, this it's it's really human manufacturing that kind of creates these kinds of. Uh, contradictions. It's entirely possible to give generously to the church, to give generously to the poor, and to take care of your responsibilities, including honoring your parents into their old age. Amen? Now, I, I don't really have time to tease that out into much more detail than that, because the specific issue that Jesus is addressing here, it's really just one issue. That's not really the main point. He's just giving an example of the way that the scribes and the Pharisees had gone wrong. And it's one example of how we can go wrong when obeying God is sidelined by religious pretense. We'll get deeper into that as we look now at the root of why the Pharisees and the scribes were doing this. And that will help us to dig more deeply into our hearts as we see that. So, Instead of arguing about the details, Jesus actually goes deeper into the root of the problem. The second half of verse 6 is where it begins. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. Very heavy. Very intense. Jesus is telling them that their hearts are far from God. What's a clear sign that your heart is far from God? You know, I think most of us who have... Been around the church scene for a while, maybe get your church clothes on on Sunday, right? You're kind of used to the whole thing that goes on in church culture. I would think probably most of us would answer the question, What's a clear sign that your heart is far from God? by saying that it's when you're not doing any of the stuff that religious people do, right? You're not reading your Bible, you're not praying, you're not being known in the church community, you're not serving. Obviously, that means. You're far from God. And I would say, actually, that's probably right to an extent, right? Neglecting all of those things can lead our hearts far from God. I remember meeting with a guy years ago, and he came to me and he said, My faith, which was once vibrant and growing and, and strong, it's now almost non-existent. And through the course of the conversation, I, I said, so how is?" How are you doing? How are you cultivating your relationship with God and your relationship with the church? And and he said, I'm not. I'm not. And, And it's no wonder that our hearts drift when that's the case. Because relationships, anyone who's had any kind of a human relationship knows this. Relationships are living. They need to be nurtured in order to not shrivel up and die. And so, yeah, one sign that our hearts are far from God is that we're not doing all the religious stuff that we know that we should. But the much more insidious sign that your heart is far from God, that Jesus is addressing here, is when you're actually doing all of those things only for reasons other than wanting to love God. That's what Jesus is addressing here with the religious elite. And if you will, for just a minute, think with me, whatever your, your knowledge is of the Gospels, whatever your knowledge is of Jesus interacting with the religious leaders, think with me for just a minute. What was Jesus' main beef with the religious elite? Across the board, what did, what did we see pattern-wise as he interacted with them? You know, many of us in the Protestant tradition, we've been conditioned to think that Jesus' main beef was that they believed that they could achieve salvation by obeying God's law. Anybody heard that before? I mean, I have. But I I can't think of anywhere in the Gospels where that's Jesus' main beef with them. If you find one, please show it to me. As far as I can tell, Jesus wasn't against religion. He was a devout religious Jew, Right? As far as I can tell, Jesus wasn't against obedience. Jesus perfectly obeyed God's law. And as far as I can tell, Jesus wasn't even against the traditions in and of themselves. And so what does Jesus attack them for? He attacks them for hypocrisy. For hypocrisy. And, and not just in the sense that we think of the term hypocrisy. We think of it like saying one thing and doing another, right? Right? That, that would be how we generally categorize hypocrisy. Jesus attacks them for a hypocrisy that is much, much deeper than even that. This Greek word translated in English as hypocrisy, it actually means someone who puts on a mask to play a part. Someone who's an actor, who's a fake. And so Jesus attacks them for pretending as though they love God, when in fact what they love is the glory of people. They love being perceived as pious. They love being perceived as, you know, the the upper crust of society, even though their hearts are crusty at the same time. He attacks them for putting on a show. Imagine what it would be like today if the Pharisees were around today. I can imagine the Pharisees would have really popular social media channels, right, pitting people against one another, talking about how they're the ones who are doing everything that's right and all those evil people out there are ruining it. They would have spoken only of the mask, only of the character that they were portraying, rather than what was deeply going on in their hearts, because they would be oblivious of the contradiction that was going on in their hearts. And this can be hard for us to hear because I think deep down, we know how susceptible all of us are to hypocrisy. We know how susceptible our hearts are to being hypocritical just like these Pharisees were. How are you prone to putting on a show? How is the church prone to putting on a show? When I was nine years old, I was in a play at our church, and it was a play based on Salty, the singing songbook. Anybody with me? Amen. (laughs) For those of you guys who are like, what in the heck is that? That sounds so... It's basically a dude, and then he's got a book hanging off his back. (laughs) It's pretty weird, Uh, but he's... He's a singing songbook, and he gets all these kids to sing, and the albums are called Kids Praise. I don't remember how high they went. I think it was like eight or nine of these things, sequel after sequel after sequel. And my parents, man, we had all those tapes, cassette tapes stacked up. We had them all. And I got to play in this play at our church, and honestly, they did a pretty good job. It wasn't half bad. I got to play the role of Jimmy. I think it was Kids Praise 4, if I remember right. And, and I had a solo, okay? Amen. Um, <laughs> I had a solo, and, and here's, here's how it went Lord, I don't have fancy toys like other little girls and boys. My clothes are faded and torn. My shoes are scuffed up and all worn. Though the world might think I'm poor, I am rich because I have you, Lord. Okay, that was my song. And yeah, I mean, it's kind of legit, actually, if you think about the message of it. (laughs) It's pretty corny, of course, in the way that it's portrayed. Um, But man, people loved it. Our church loved it. I remember people coming. I'd be like hanging out with my mom after the the thing was over. and, And people come up, and they'd just be like doting on me, doting. Your kid is an angel, they'd say. But I got news for you guys. I was not an angel (laughs) at church I was an angel yeah but I had learned to be one person at church and another person with my friends I was nine years old y'all okay you don't have to be an adult to learn how to do hypocrisy I was nine And I was doing this. I I had created this persona that everybody saw of me in our church context, and yet during the week I'm stealing cigarettes with my friends from the 7-Eleven, right? I'm sexually perverted. My mouth is vile. I was a mini Pharisee. I was living two different lives. My lips were near to God on Sundays anyway. My heart was far away. Praise God, he didn't leave me there. He didn't let me stay there, right? But man, this is so common in the church. I mean, even with people who are older than nine, amen? Do you guys catch what I'm saying? Okay, adults, right? People still do this. Grown up, I've watched this as a pastor for almost 20 years and a minister for almost 20 years. I've seen this over and over and over again. People who are living this kind of duplicitous life. And what I've noticed is that people will begin by practicing wearing a mask in one setting, and then it'll just kind of spill over into other parts of their hearts and other parts of their lives. I've seen this over and over and over again, different person at work than they are at church, right? Different person, you know, at the game than you are with your church community, different person at home even sometimes, than you are with your church community. What's this like in your heart? What's this like in your life? Now, despite the fact that I think all of us are susceptible to this hypocrisy, I will say I don't think that genuine followers of Jesus are hypocrites quite in the way that the 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 Pharisees were. Here's what I mean. If you love Jesus, if you genuinely love Jesus, we should be reading this story less as like, oh, this is you, you need to be stopping being a hypocrite all the time. And more like, this is a warning of what you can become when you forget your first love. This is what can happen to you. It's so easy. We should read this parable as to what happens when loving God and obeying God is sidelined by religious pretense, by putting on a show. Of course, we do need to still examine our hearts. Where am I prone, Lord, to putting on a show? Where am I prone to presenting myself to others in a way that makes me look holier than I really am? Where am I prone to set myself up as the religious superman or as the hero of my story rather than show people the real me? If the Pharisees would have been so big on social media, which I think they would, we've got to ask ourselves the question, do we present ourselves in a particular way online? Am I showing myself to be someone other than who I know I truly am? And, or even if I don't, am, am I following someone else online and celebrating and participating in a religious charade that they have created. So let's, let's ask God's Spirit to, to reveal these things to us, to transform these parts of our hearts. And in addition to hypocrisy, there's one more thing that Jesus is rebuking the religious leaders for that we need to pay attention to, we need to consider in our own lives, and that is traditions. These traditions, Right? But not just traditions in general, traditions being treated as commands. See, man-made commands, even if they're good, become bad when they're elevated to the level of God's commands. And we see this happen all the time in the church. I, I would argue that since the Protestant Reformation The church has been in a perpetual state of dividing over traditions, various denominations and tribes treating their way of doing things as though it's gospel truth, as though it's a straight off the mouth of God, right? And in some ways, it it makes sense that this happens because I think good leadership, especially in the context of the church, it it requires having a specific plan for how you're going to do things. What's your ministry philosophy? How are you going to choose to do ministry as a community, as a church, right? That's important. Or how are you going to operate? Churches are a family, but churches also do business. So how are you going to function? What's the business side of what the church is going to do? Or even how are we going to do our liturgy when we come together? How, How are we going to disciple people, right? All these things are super important, But the fact is, is that none of those things are explicit in the Bible. None of them, when it comes down to the practical outworking of what you're doing as a church. We we may wisely discern some principles in Scripture for how the church should function. We should do that. But all churches are given tons of freedom from God as to how they apply those principles. So we've got to hold our specifics, our ways of doing things with very open hands and never treat them as though, you know, the Lord dropped them out of the sky with golden tablets to us. You know what I mean? All these things are open for discussion, open for change as to how we do things. Because when we elevate the this is how we do things to this is the only way that you can be a true Christian, That's the quickest way to accidentally fall into the pit of the Pharisees. Amen? You guys know about the pit of the Pharisees, right? It's nasty down there. You don't want to go into the pit of the Pharisees. It stinks. It's just gross. And so we as individuals, we as the body of Christ, we've got to be asking the Lord, are we, and this is especially important for me as the primary teacher here, are we teaching and obeying what God has laid out for us in Scripture? Or are we teaching our own way of doing things and indoctrinating people into our own traditions and elevating them to the place of equal standing with the Word of God? See, the beauty of the Scriptures is that they are timeless and timely. They are always fresh. They're never stale. We don't need to add to them because if we do, we will walk far away from what God intended as He gave them to us in the first place. But if we keep our hearts focused on loving God and never willing to put on a show in order to gain the approval or the control of others, then we're going to avoid those trappings of creating traditions that we've elevated to the point of commands. And Jesus tells us, putting on a show here. Look at what he says. He says, putting on a show leads to verse 9: vain. Worship, vain worship. This word vain means fruitless. It means meaningless, pointless. It's worship that goes nowhere. I picture this a lot like in the book of Ecclesiastes. He uses the word vanity a lot. He talks about how it's meaningless. Life can be meaningless. I, I see vain worship being very similar to that, like chasing after the wind, right? When I'm, worship, when I'm worshiping God, but what I'm really doing is I'm grasping after something that's just completely empty. I'm just going to go get this wind. Where, whereas true worship is I'm going I'm to go wrap my arms around the living God. I'm going to go build a relationship with my creator. Why would we pursue chasing after wind when God is waiting for us? Open arms, inviting us to a true relationship with him, to wholehearted worship of him. The Pharisees and the scribes, they assumed that the Messiah would come and enforce their rules, I said, with military might, and then destroy their enemies so that he could become king. And man, that story is so close to the story of Jesus, but it's just off, (laughs) See, their, their off story, it led them to miss out on something so much better. They, they exchanged the love of God for the love of human approval. What a waste, friends. That's chasing after wind. They exchanged the obedience of God's commands, which actually lead to life, to obedience of man-made traditions, which lead to Death. They exchanged being authentic and fully known for being actors in a play, and they exchanged the true Messiah for their false ideas of what the Messiah would be because Jesus the Messiah, he, he, yeah, he enforced commands but not traditions. He enforced God's commands, and he didn't do it with military might. He did it with God's love. And Jesus, as the Messiah, destroyed not just the enemies of Israel, and he didn't do it with military might, he destroyed all uh, the enemies of all of humanity, and he did it through his own self-sacrifice on the cross. Jesus defeated our enemies of Satan, sin, and death in order to free us from all the trappings of hypocrisy in order to free us from putting on a show, in order to free us from living for man-made traditions. Jesus became the eternal king of the world by showing us God's wholehearted devotion for us, friends. He showed us God's wholehearted devotion for us, and as we remember what he has done, it leads to the right response. It leads to the right heart, wholehearted devotion for him. Friends, I've lived both worlds. I've I've lived in the world of hypocrisy. I've told you that story. That, That went on for many, many years after that. And then I've lived in the life that God brings to us, the life that God gives to us, wholehearted devotion and freedom. And I've learned that Jesus died for our sins to transform our shame so we don't have to put on a show for anybody. We don't have to pretend like we're someone else. We don't have to wear a mask to try and protect some image of ourselves. Jesus has dealt with all of that. We're free. We're free. He's freed us to be the real us, warts and all, all of our problems. He's dealing with them. He's working through them. And we're preparing for a future day when we get to see him face to face. And the Bible says the secrets of our hearts will be exposed. Everything will come to light, all of the truth of who we are. And so we need to be preparing for that day where nothing will be hidden. Nothing will be fake. And so today we get the freedom of being our true selves, mask-free, friends. That's the kind of community we want to cultivate here at Trinity. Can I get an amen to that? Trinity, come on. So here's a few questions that you guys can uh, allow to kind of prod your hearts. I asked some of these during the message. As you you gather with your community groups this week, Lord willing, you could work through these. In what ways are you prone to putting on a show? Maybe you're living a life of hypocrisy, or maybe just little parts of your heart are being given away to to putting on a show. In what ways are you prone to elevate your ways above God's ways? What kinds of traditions would you say are total commands from God? And then what helps your heart draw near to God? Because we don't want to just pick apart the things we're doing wrong. We want to say, what does it look like to have authentic, true worship where we draw near to Him? Let's pray and respond to him and draw near to him today. God, we are so grateful for what you've done for us in Jesus, that you've rid us from the trappings and the shackles of hypocrisy, of tradition as an end in itself, and you've us, you've liberated us to be the true us, that you are forming us into your image, that you're making us more like you, that you're freeing us from the, our old ways and our old patterns. Thank you, God, for that. Thank you for removing our shame so that we can be real with each other. And thank you for stirring up our hearts and giving us the Holy Spirit that we might obey you freely and want to live according to your commands. Would you move in this room right now, God, in ways that free us from hypocrisy and tradition and lead us more into true worship and love of you? We pray it in your name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com.